This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Got your Bibles, turn to the book of Philippians, if you would, this morning. Uh, the book of Philippians is where we're going. We've been in Philippians for a while, and you will be greatly encouraged today. Hold your applause until the end of today's message. We're going to make it all the way through chapter 2 today. How about that? Hold the applause. Oh, some of you started. I know you're excited about it, but just wait. Uh, we've been, uh, for those of you that don't know, this is message number 41 in our series of just verse-by-verse exposition of the book of Philippians. And so 41 messages in, uh, halfway there uh, Chapter 2 will wrap up today, uh, for sure. <laughs> if you've been seeing the message so far, you can always get caught up on our website or through the Hui Kala app. If you have the Hui Kala app, best thing ever, you can click on today's message. There's a button that says fill in notes. You can actually follow along with the, mes- the message today. Fill in your notes. At the end, you can email them to yourself. It's a totally cool way to take notes during church. Uh, and so just make sure that you're taking notes on your phone in church and not uh, surfing the internet or checking up on your Instagram. That would be bad. Uh, so... Philippians chapter 2 is where we find ourselves. If you just uh, remember by way of context, the church at Philippi was a church that Paul had started from scratch. Uh, he pastored it for a while, moved on, planted more churches. Uh, finds himself now about 10 years or so later uh, in prison. Different kind of prison than we would think. He's not uh, locked up in a jail cell per se. Uh, it's more under house arrest and the fact that he's in a room. He can't leave. He can have as many visitors as he wants. He can uh, kind of... Uh, conduct his business freely as he wants to, but he cannot leave. And so different type of imprisonment, but we often call Paul's uh, letter to the church at Philippi part of Paul's prison epistles or prison letters. And so uh, we find ourselves there today in the book of Philippians. We're going to start in verse uh, chapter 2, verse number 19. If you remember last week, we took a look at how Paul was going to send to them uh, Timothy, uh, because Timothy was the only person he could think of that would care for their needs, uh, who wasn't selfish. And so we took a look at that last week. We'll just by way of review, uh, take a look through that, and we'll read all the way through uh, chapter number two. We'll be in chapter two, verse number 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send unto you presently, so soon as I shall see how it shall go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I shall come to myself, myself shall come shortly. I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Starting in uh, verse 25 is where we're going to spend our time today. I should send unto you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, he that ministered unto my wants. For he longed unto you after you all and was full of heaviness because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, you may rejoice and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive them therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. 
Just to give you guys kind of a quick overview of, of my life, I grew up in, uh, in Kentucky in a small town and I uh, joined the Navy right out of high school because I didn't want to go to college and met my wife in Pensacola, Florida, my first duty station. And uh, we got married and got stationed here in Hawaii, uh, got out of the military, started a computer training and consulting company. And we felt like God was calling us to full-time vocational ministry. We wanted to serve God with more than just Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And we wanted to really get uh, involved in, in, in helping people figure out their life problems from the Bible. And so we felt like God was calling us to go to a Bible college in California to prepare. And so uh, we left Hawaii, went to, to uh, Lancaster, California, uh, served on staff at the church there in the Bible college for almost 10 years, came back in 2013 and started who we call it from scratch. That's kind of a, our life story in a nutshell. When uh, we had gone to California, we really felt like God was, was preparing us for something, didn't know what it was. We just wanted to serve God in some capacity. And uh, I remember meeting uh, one of my friends who had become one of my really close friends while we lived in California, and uh, we began to talk, and he began to tell me his story about his life. And uh, he grew up in a, a Christian home, uh, as I did. Uh, he went to Christian school, kindergarten through 12th grade, was in Christian school his whole life, and was in a really solid Bible preaching church, and was in a really solid youth group. And he said, I remember when I was in eighth grade, and we were at teen camp, and I went forward at teen camp, and so I felt like God's calling me to a pastor, and so I've known since the time I was a teenager that I was going to be a pastor, and uh, his very first uh, week at uh, Bible College, his freshman year of college, he met his wife, who had also grown up in a Christian home, went through 12 years of Christian uh, school uh, growing up as well, and she felt a, a, a calling or so in her life when she was a teenager that she was going to be uh, marry a guy who would be involved in ministry and maybe pastor one day and things like that. He said, so the two of us have always known that we wanted to serve Jesus in this capacity, and our parents have prepared us for that our whole life by putting us in Christian school and went to Christian college, and right as soon as we graduated Christian college, we served on staff at a church and became a pastor, uh, assistant pastor there, and that's kind of my story. And I remember hearing his story and being greatly discouraged because I think that's not even remotely close to my life. Like, I thought that God could use me, but now I look at this guy's life and say, I'll never be like him. And I fell into the trap that many of you fall into as well, where you think that God has this factory where he cranks out his best work, right? Uh, Good work gets done over here in this factory of people that are pristine, clean, uh, polished around the edges, prepared since birth to do great things for God. And then there's the rest of us, right? The rest of us, we go through life, we get beat up, we get scraped up, we got some scars to prove it. We're probably still bleeding in places we don't even know that we're bleeding. We're not really all that healthy. We're trying to get healthy. We're trying to do better. But we're, uh, I guess what you would say, we're not really the, the choicest servants to say. But there's these really good folks over here. And I assigned myself less usefulness to Christ because I didn't have somebody else's story. And let me just help you. Whenever you get into a, a wrong pattern of thinking, there's one thing in the world and one thing only that will pull you out of it, and it is the Bible. God's word always sets you straight, always, every single time. And as I began to read through the word, you know what I found is that God didn't always use people that were the most qualified he would use people that were just shepherds. He would use people with speech impediments. He would use people that were probably second, third, fourth choice of what everybody else thought. I read through the story of when God was calling the first good king of Israel after uh, Saul had sinned against God and was, was dethroned. Remember what uh, Jesse got his boys out there for the prophet to come by and take a look at? He says, oh, you must be looking at this guy. He's the, the best. He's the good looking. He's the sharpest guy. God, this one's the strongest. He's the smartest. And Samuel's scratching his head going, you got any other kids? Because this just isn't it. He says, I've got David. But I mean, David, he's like a kid. He's like a, a shepherd boy. But these are, these are the good ones. And he says, bring David here. I think David's the one. And David was the one. He wasn't the first choice. 
They was like the last choice. You look through the people that, that Jesus called to be his closest apostles in the ministry. The people that would walk and talk with him, Peter, James, John. What did these guys do for a living? These must have been really religious, well-studied, well-read men, weren't they? No, they were rough fishermen, guys. That when Jesus finds them, they've been actually out fishing all night with their dad. And he says, hey, you are, are the guys that are going to come with me and do great things. Peter got to preach on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people came to faith in Jesus Christ and the church as we know it began under the preaching of Peter. Who is Peter? Peter was a nobody. He was a fisherman who denied the Lord multiple times. As we look at this story here today, we see the apostle Paul. You want to rank the top 10 greatest Christians of all time, the Apostle Paul is always going to be at the top of your list, no doubt about it. This guy, I mean, changed the world. Paul was a Christian when nobody knew what a Christian was. Paul was a Christian when nobody thought being a Christian was cool. Paul was a Christian when he was still literally writing the book on what it meant to be a Christian. I mean, this guy, top of anybody's list for sure. You take a look at Timothy. Timothy was so close to Paul that he, we, saw, we just read here in Philippians, he calls him, he says, just like a father would work with his son, so Timothy and I have worked together in the gospel. He looks at this guy as like one of his sons. He writes two letters to Timothy that outside of the life of Jesus Christ and the teachings of Jesus Christ are the greatest leadership lessons of spiritual leadership ever penned by man. First and second Timothy telling him how to be a godly man and how to walk with Jesus and help other people do the same. Oh, it's phenomenal. But Timothy, Timothy had a, a mom and a grandmother who were believers, but we don't know about Timothy's father. He was a Greek. He was in, probably an unbeliever. Paul never mentions Tim, Timothy's father's faith. And so, but Timothy, Timothy was the guy that went out and got it done. Timothy was one of the people that Paul put in charge of finding other guys who would be pastors and bringing them up after Paul was gone. And so Paul really left that in the lap of Timothy. And then there's a guy in the story here named Epaphroditus. What do you know about Epaphroditus? Have you ever met anybody named Epaphroditus before? I haven't. I've met lots of Pauls. My brother's name's Timothy. I met many people. My, 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 my boys, my, my, my dad's name is Jimmy. My, my son, Vanderlei, his middle name is James. Thatcher's middle name is Stephen, P-H-E-N, like the first martyr of the church. <laughs> when we were thinking of baby names, Epaphroditus didn't crack our top 100, right? Why? He's a nobody when it comes to the Bible. He really is. We find nothing about Epaphroditus apart from the book of Philippians. He's mentioned once here in Philippians 2 and once in Philippians 4. That's it. Now, in the book of Acts, we find a guy by the name of Epaphras, but there's no indication that this is the same guy because there's no similarities between the two. So Epaphroditus is really just a regular guy. Paul says that he was a messenger from the church at Philippi. So here's what we know about Epaphras, Epaphroditus. This is it. First of all, we know that he probably came from an unsaved family. The name Epaphroditus meant favored by Aphrodite, who was the Greek goddess of love. And so the name Epaphroditus meant that he was favored by a Greek goddess. So his name came from paganism. And so it's a good indication that he probably, his parents probably weren't believers, probably weren't Christians. We know that he was a member of the church at Philippi, and he came to bring Paul a message. And so it was just his job to, to bring Paul a message from the church at Philippi, say, hey, Paul, just want to let you know we're doing well. We're praying for you. We heard you're in prison. Things aren't well. We sent Epaphroditus here to, to say, hey, and we're doing all right. He was a messenger. He was a member of the church. And at the end of this, Paul was just going to send him back to the church. That was it. We don't find that this guy ever preached a message. 
We don't ever read of the prayers of Epaphroditus. We really don't know anything about him at all throughout the rest of the Bible other than the fact that he hung out with Paul while he was in prison. That's it. So you want to talk about just regular run-of-the-mill folks. I think when it comes to a matter of finding somebody in the Bible that I identify with, I definitely wouldn't put myself in a category of a Paul, although he has all the things that I would want to be. I wouldn't even put myself in the category of a Timothy. I'd probably be just being an Epaphroditus. I, I grew up in, in public school, <laughs> kindergarten through 12th grade. I rode the bus to school every single day. And let me just help you. If you want to help your kids live for Jesus, don't put them on a school bus going to a public school uh, because I learned every single cuss word that there was to know by the age of, of you know, six, seven. Uh, back in the day, the fifth and sixth graders would ride in the back of the bus and that's where you learned about sex uh, because these guys were so well seasoned at fifth grade about the, the ways of the world and, and uh, what women really want. Uh, that, that's where you went back to learn about that kind of stuff, right? And I remember that's the kind of environment that I grew up in and the church that I grew up in wasn't a solid Bible teaching church. It was actually really carnal looking back. I didn't have a lot of solid Christian friends growing up. I had a lot of friends that went to church, but nobody who wanted to live for Jesus I didn't even know that people actually lived for Jesus until I was an adult. And so my parents weren't in ministry. My dad owns a body shop and my mom worked at the hospital. Like, like you're talking about like blue collar, plain, just regular old folks. So then I look at my life and I say, could God really use somebody like me? You know, my parents didn't prepare me from, from birth to be a pastor. My wife when, when, and I, when I got married, she didn't know that she was marrying a pastor. I didn't know that I was marrying a future pastor's wife. We, this wasn't in our plan anywhere just a couple of regular folks. It's it. But here's what I find in the Bible. If you sit here saying, I'm just a regular folks, good, because that's the type of people that God uses. You see the type of people that, God, that Jesus Christ skipped over when he was choosing his team of 12? You know who he, who, who he skipped over? He skipped over the scribes, the Pharisees. He, scri- he skipped over every person who thought that they had it all together, everybody who thought that they were something, everybody that wanted position, wanted status, and he took the lowest of the low, people who were just willing to put their head down and get to work. That's the type of people that God uses. So I've entitled today's message, 10 Ways God Uses Regular Folks. Now, just a precursor to this, one of my biggest pet peeves as a pastor is when anybody gives a list of five ways to have a happy Valentine's Day. Be kind, be generous, be loving, be garbage, stop that. Five tips to a better marriage. Let's just throw out five ideas. Be nice, be loving, be caring. I hate lists like that, but here's the beautiful part about expository Bible preaching. These 10 ways that God uses regular folks comes directly from this text, directly from the Bible. We're just going to go down every single thing that Paul said about Epaphroditus and find how we, just regular old folks, can be used of God to do something great. So here it is. Uh, Number one, first of all, be willing to connect, invest, and serve in others. Paul, from the very get-go, if you take a look at verse number, uh, my page turn, uh, if you take a look at verse number 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send unto you Epaphroditus, my brother. First thing he says about Epaphroditus is, this is my brother. That means that Epaphroditus was more than just a messenger. Paul would later say he was your messenger that you sent unto me. But look at it this way. Epaphroditus' job was to go and tell, give, deliver Paul a message, be a messenger, be an encouragement to him. And so Epaphroditus shows up and says, hey, Paul, I just want to let you know the church of Philippi is doing good. And they're praying for you. And Paul says, thank you, Epaphroditus. And I don't know if he just kind of like stood there for a little bit. And Paul's like, do you need something else? It'd be like the mailman dropping your mail off. Here you go, Mr. King, it's for you. Good. And he kind of like 
stands there for a minute. Like, what do you want me to like, tip you? Or is like, this a new thing? Or like, can you just leave? Epaphroditus delivered a message, but he just stayed. And I, I don't know if Epaphroditus says, hey, you know, Paul, is there anything around here I can do? Is there anything that you need? Any way I can help? Or something like that. But here's the thing. Epaphroditus didn't just want to do the bare minimum. He wanted to go above and beyond and, and really try to connect with Paul in some meaningful way. That's why for us as Christians, we can't just take surface connection with other people. You'll never be used of God if you just make a surface connection. You've got to be willing to go a little bit deeper. I, I love our greeting time. Some of you probably hate it, and I'm sorry. Uh, but it, it's just, for me, I want to talk to you. I want to find out what's going on with you. I want to hear your story. I want to I find out how I can pray for you. And, and, and really, sometimes I can just swing by for 10 seconds and say, hey, how's it going? What's new with you? And if I missed you this morning, I'm going to be hanging out on the sidewalk until the last person leaves. So please stop by and say hey to me. I mean it, really. But here's the, the fact of the matter. At some point, we've got to go beyond, hey, how's it going? And say, hey, how can I pray for you this week? Hey, we, you should come over to our house. I'm going to grill some burgers. I'd really love to get to know you guys and hear your story. Hey, I want to let you know I prayed for you every single day this week. We got to be willing to go a little bit deeper than that. And that's what it takes for an investment. And Epaphroditus wasn't willing to just deliver a message and wash his hands and say, look, Paul, all I'm supposed to do is tell you that we're doing okay, we're fine, I'm going back home. He said, no, he was willing to connect where Paul said, hey, Epaphroditus is more than just your messenger. He's my brother now. We have this tight connection now. We formed a special bond because we're going the same direction. We're working towards the same thing. God's using us together. And we got this special bond that we got now. That's what I absolutely love about the local New Testament church is that we're all going the same direction. We're all doing the same thing. We're all growing at different stages of our life. We're doing it together. And there's a special bond that we have between that where I can call you my brother. I can call you my sister. We can be a part of the same family together. And look, if you've got a problem with somebody else in our church, you've got a problem with me because we're all family here. That's the idea here. Paul says, Epaphroditus is more than just a guy who came and hung out with me for a bit. We developed a deep bond with one another. Because one step further, when we take a look at this passage, verse number 25, yet I suppose necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor. You want to be used of God, you need to be willing to work. He says, my companion in labor. It's interesting, Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi in the Greek language, and the, the word that Paul used for the fellow laborer here is the word synergio, where we get our word synergy from. Meaning, Paul said, I was doing the work before Epaphroditus came here, but when he came, we went to a next level together. That's why the Christian life was never meant to do solo. You can't do it on your own. The burdens that you carry, they're too heavy for you to carry on your own. You need someone to help you in the labor of life the Christian life. God's put people around you that want to lift your burden if they knew. I, I want to pray for you if I know what you're going through, but I don't, I, I don't know if you don't tell me. I love it when I get text messages and people say, hey, pastor, could you pray for this? I'm having a rough day at work. Man, done. Pastor, could you pray for our marriage? Done. If you guys need to meet, I'll be happy to talk. Done. Because you're not alone. We're in this together. You got problems, I got problems. Look, when, when my daughter was in the hospital, you were praying for me, you were encouraging me, you were helping me. I want to do the same for you with whatever burdens you carry, but we can't do it alone. And some days for us, the, the, the difference between making it or not was just knowing that there were people out there that always had our back. I've got to be willing, but again, that dials us back to the first one. I've got to be willing to connect with other people. 
you, you can't sit here for an hour and a half, 90 minutes on Sunday morning and split and not talk to anybody and make meaningful connections that are going to last the rest of your lifetime. It just doesn't work that way. It's going to take time. It's going to take investment. And you say, well, it's always awkward getting to do that. Push through the awkwardness. It's worth it. I promise you that. My wife will tell you the first few dates we went on was very awkward because I'm an awkward person, but I'm thankful that she pushed through and persevered, right? Anytime that you're open and vulnerable with new people, it's going to be different, but it's work. That's why I, it grieves me to hear people paint the Christian life as follow Jesus and all of your problems go away. Follow Jesus and it'll be the easiest thing you've ever done in your entire life. That couldn't be further from the truth because life is hard. But I'm telling you this, life with, with Jesus is less hard than life without Jesus, I guarantee you that. And if I'm going to walk through trials, I'd rather walk through trials and difficulties with Jesus than without him any day of the week for sure. But let me tell you, the Christian life's work. Doing something great for God will require work on your part. It would require sacrifice on your part. And you got to be willing to put in the work. And Paul says about Epaphroditus, he was my fellow laborer. I was pulling and he was pulling right beside me. We were working together to accomplish more for the glory of God. If we go through verse number 25, yet I suppose necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my companion in labor, and my fellow soldier. Not only do we need to be willing to work, we need to be willing to go to war. The Christian life isn't for sissies. I'll put it that way. It's hard. Paul tells Timothy, again, you talk about spiritual leadership, Paul's pouring into Timothy, telling him to man up. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ because everyone who's called to be a soldier wants to please him who's called him to be a soldier. So come on, Timothy. Put your big boy pants on and get after it. Christian life's hard. It's going to be difficult. Know this. If you decide to walk with Jesus, first of all, it'll be the best decision you've ever made in your entire life, bar none, period, end of story. But if you decide to walk with Jesus, it will be hard because, know this, the second you decide to walk with Jesus, the devil hates your guts and he's going to do everything he can to destroy you. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. My problem is not with you. My problem isn't with somebody else. My problem isn't with the atheist who's angry with me, who hates my guts. Those people are not my enemies. The Bible says that our enemy is the devil and the powers of darkness. That there's a spiritual war going on that we can't actually see that we're engaged in. That's why the things that we see taking place on TV aren't just our nation going to hell in a handbasket. It's a matter of spiritual warfare against our nation, against Christians in particular. And we can either sit back and continue to flip channels or we can stand up and get engaged. And we're called to stand up and get engaged. But it's going to be hard. And know this, if you're a child of God, if there's been a time in your life where you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the devil cannot steal your salvation. I'm thankful for that. And if you don't know what that means, I'm going to give you a really, I'm going to tell you the most important thing you've ever heard in your entire life, so please listen up. First of all, you were born into this world as a sinner. You've broken God's law, not once or twice, but on a continual basis. I have as well. We're all sinners. There's none righteous. No, not one. The problem comes is when this life is over, it's appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment, I will stand before God one day and I will have to give an account for all the wrong that I've done. And the Bible says somebody has to pay. If you stand before God and you have to pay, here's the price. The wages of sin is death. 
Revelation chapter 20 says, all those whose names were not found written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. When you die, here's what you deserve for your sin. Here's what I deserve for my sin. Hell, that's what we deserve. But God loves you. God loves me. He sent his son Jesus to die in our place. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died for me. If you would be willing today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved from your sin. All the wrong you've ever done in your entire life can be wiped away as if it never happened, and you can become a child of God. That's why I love that song that we heard this morning. I once was a slave to sin, but Jesus died for me, and who the Son sets free is free indeed. That the day that I got saved, I threw off the chains of sin. I threw off the chains of guilt and shame and regret I'm no longer fearful of death because I know what happens to me when I die because Jesus Christ has saved me. So the devil can never take that away from you. You say, well, what if I decide I don't want to walk with Jesus anymore? If your name is written in the book of life, the Bible says no man can, can blot your name out of that book. Nobody could do it if they wanted to. That if you're truly a child of God, nothing can ever take that away. Next Sunday, we're going to talk a little bit more in detail what it means to be a child of God. But look, if you've been saved, there's nothing anybody can do to take that away from you, the devil included. But, this is a really important transition point. While you cannot lose your salvation, the devil wants to steal your joy. The devil wants to steal your peace. The devil wants to steal your Christian witness. The devil wants to ruin your testimony. The devil wants to limit your effectiveness for Jesus Christ. That's a given. So you need to understand that this is a war that we fight. And you say, well, and we know who the, the enemy is, the devil. He wants to ruin our lives. Well, how do we fight? I'm glad we know. Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the devil in that day. So Ephesians 6 walks us through the ways that we protect our minds, we protect our hearts, and we protect our spirit. The Bible also tells us we have one offensive weapon in the armor of God, and that is the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. And so, friend, if you're not in the, the, the Bible... You're in a gunfight without a gun. You're in a sword fight without a sword. Like, you're going to get absolutely eviscerated if you're not spending time in God's word. So again, this is war. Epaphroditus just says, hey, Paul, I'm in. I got your back. I got your six. I'm always with you. We'll, 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 we'll get it together. And so Paul, as he was in prison, feeling burdened, a guy came along and lifted a little bit of his burden. While Paul was busy working, Epaphroditus came by and said, hey man, what can I do? How can I jump in? When Paul was being attacked by the enemy, Epaphroditus was willing to stand beside him and go to bat with him. It's interesting as Paul refers to Epaphroditus here. Well, we think of the apostle Paul, all-star Christian, and Epaphroditus, some dude that you've never even heard of. You know what he calls him? My fellow soldier. We sometimes get the idea that when it comes to serving God and the kingdom of God and the army of God, that there's a hierarchy. Those of us that serve in the military, you know that the guys uh, at the top is the commander-in-chief, and then the commander-in-chief has his joint chiefs, and underneath the joint chiefs, there's one for every branch uh, down there, and then you get the C&O for the Navy, and down from the C&O, you got all the other flow chart that it goes. And then if you're like me, down at the very, 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 very bottom, you'll find yourself. And we think in our minds that God has a similar flow chart. That there's like the Apostle Paul, and then there's Timothy, and then there's probably, I don't know, Titus, and then there's even guys like Silas and Barnabas, right? These guys weren't really superstars, but they traveled with Paul and were greatly used of Paul. 
you take a guy like Barnabas, you know, Barnabas was the guy that vouched for Paul with the original apostles. Paul was a killer of Christians, and when he went to talk to the apostles, they're like, oh, this is a setup. And Barnabas was the guy who said, no, 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 Paul's with me. He's good. I vouch for him. You know, guys like that, we would say, okay, that guy's probably farther up in the, where's Epaphroditus in this? You know what Paul says? Paul says he's a fellow soldier. Then when it comes to the army of God, there's one general, and his name is Jesus, and the rest of us are just foot soldiers. We're all just grunts. That's it. There's no hierarchy. People often think of the hierarchy of the church. It's like, oh, we got the pastor, and then you got deacons, and you got other people that have been at the church a long time, and then you got the people that are newer to the church, and it's this flow chart. No, no, no. The, the church is, the flow chart is very simple. Let me help you with it. There's Jesus at the top and everybody else at the bottom on a flat line. That's it. And some people get messed up when they think, well, the pastor's a little bit higher than everybody else in the floor. No, no, no. We just have different roles and responsibilities. I'm not any higher up the chain than you are. We just have different roles within the church. And when he talks about the Paphroditus here, he doesn't refer to him as one of my guys or one of my soldiers. He calls him a fellow soldier. We're all in this together. That's it. We take our orders from the top. We take our orders from the word. And, and that's it. We just get it done. And the way that you get it done is different than the way that I get it done. But at the end of the day, we are fellow soldiers together the same way that Epaphroditus was. But he was willing to go to war. Next, as we look through here, he says, <laughs> a companion in labor and a fellow soldier, but your messenger, that he ministered to my wants. We've got to be willing to serve in humility. Again, Epaphroditus... We don't, know, we don't know that he ever preached a sermon. Look, we don't even know if, if he was the guy like holding the paper while Paul wrote. We don't know what Epaphroditus did. We don't have any deep, meaningful prayers that we find recorded in Scripture that Epaphroditus prayed. We don't even know if they let Epaphroditus pray for the meal, you know? Here's what we do know. He ministered to Paul's needs. Now, depending on your English translations, you have, it might be wants, it might be needs. They both basically mean the same thing. Whatever Paul needed, Epaphroditus was willing to do it. And it's interesting. Paul's not talking necessarily in terms of the ministry, like, oh, if I needed to, to read something from the Bible, he'd read it to me. If I needed somebody to pray, he would pray with me. I think Paul's talking about, like, hey, if I needed somebody to run to the store and grab something for me, Epaphroditus would. We know in the book of Acts that this house arrest that Paul was under, people could come and go freely. Paul couldn't go anywhere. But he could have as many visitors as he wanted to. The Bible says in the book of Acts that nobody was ever turned away from being able to see Paul. And so Epaphroditus might have been the guy who was like, hey, Paul needs some, some toothpaste. I want to run to the store and grab toothpaste. He might need anything while I'm out. Hey, somebody needs to clean up around here. I'll take care of that, that today. Hey, somebody's got to wash dishes. I'll wash dishes. Paul says he ministered to my wants. And, and, and again, the idea here is the word minister Again, when you think of a minister as a guy uh, wearing a costume with a backwards collar and that's a minister, that's not a biblical word. The word minister means servant. He was willing to serve my needs. And it's the same word that's used when Jesus Christ said, the son of man came not to be ministered to, but to minister to others. Jesus himself didn't come to have people wait on him. He came to serve. And Epaphroditus is willing to serve a guy who's locked up in prison who can't do anything for him. Epaphroditus didn't know if the Apostle Paul was going to be put to death, and here's a guy that he's serving that's going to end up dying in a couple of weeks. He didn't know, but frankly, he didn't care. 
And if you remember, all Epaphroditus was supposed to do was deliver a message from Philippi that they were doing okay. But he stayed. He invested. He got involved in what Paul was getting involved in. And he served Paul. Whatever Paul needed, he was willing to help. I'm telling you this, the greatest joy you will ever find in the Christian life is when you stop asking what can be done for you and you begin to look what you can do for other people. The quote by John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Awesome statement, amazing quote. But you know what that really is? It's a biblical principle. Because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve other people. He wasn't concerned about what he was getting out of this. And so many times, people will, will leave a church because it didn't scratch their itch. Well, they didn't really have anything for my kids. or My, my, my kids, you know, felt uh, the class was too big. They didn't get the individual attention they needed. My kid didn't get a coloring sheet. My kid didn't get enough goldfish, you know. I forgot to feed my kids breakfast, and they didn't have any food in the nursery. And you know, We had to park over to Alamoana and walk two blocks to church, and parking isn't really all that convenient. Okay, I get it. If you... <laughs> I'll be straight. I'm going to shoot you straight because I, I like it when people just tell me the truth. And I'm going to tell you the truth. Here. If you want to be entertained on a Sunday morning, I can name about a dozen better places to be entertained on a Sunday morning. Guarantee you. If you want a better show, I could give you a dozen churches who have an awesome show that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on platforms, lights. They hire professional singers that don't even know Jesus that sing songs. Because they're about the experience. You want an experience? I'll give you a list of 10 churches you could try for the experience. I don't think you could find a better children's ministry program than ours, so I'll just say that's, that is what it is. You got the best children's ministry in town by far, I believe. You want to find somebody who preaches shorter sermons? I think everybody does. Like, like all of them, everybody, really. You're looking for a more convenient parking situation? Look, I get it. But if you're looking for a place where God's doing something special and you want to jump in on that, you're in the right place. You're looking for a place where God's at work in the hearts of people who really hunger and crave after God's word, you're in the right place. You're in a place where you want to grow in your faith and have people pour into your life. Hey, you're in the right place. You're in a place where you want to use what God's given you to bless and encourage others and help and serve. You're in the right place because this is where we get that kind of work done. Epaphroditus wasn't looking for a comfortable situation. I don't know what Paul's house arrest situation was, but I imagine he didn't come with a, be- a guest bedroom. But he was willing to be there and meet whatever need Paul had. <laughs> That's why I, I love it when people come to Hootie Call and they say, hey, we want to jump in, we want to talk about church membership so that we can serve in ministry and things like that. Uh, I'm always thankful for that. And oftentimes people say, I'm willing to do whatever you need me to do, even if it's scrubbing toilets. And I always say, I'm glad that you're, able, you're willing to do that because I scrub toilets here too. It's just part of it. You know, you know I love this. Um, it's not a brag or a boast. I just want you to understand the, the culture of Huikala. Easter Sunday was awesome. Packed house. We had, we had balloons up here. I found out, I didn't know this. This has nothing to do with the message, but it's interesting. I want to share it. I didn't know that people actually have a legitimate fear of balloons. Did anybody know that? One of our guys that attends our church, I won't tell you who it is, so I don't want to embarrass him. He came in, he said, Pastor, like I walked in the door and I, I couldn't catch my breath. And he goes, I almost turned around and went back out. But I just prayed and I said, God, you're not telling me to push through this. He said, the whole time I just kept my hand over my, my head like this. He goes, I just wouldn't look at the balloons. Like, I have a fear of heights, like I'm going to fall and die. Like, what fear do you have of a balloon? Like, it's going to attack you or it's going to like, go, I, don't, I don't understand. He's like, balloonophobia evidently is your thing. Okay, got it. But anyways, 
Easter Sunday, we had a big, huge thing. We, we went baptized after the services. We had balloons and everything. You know who took out the garbage in the church on Easter Sunday? I did. We, we all bolted afterwards. We all went in, uh, and, um, to baptism. It was awesome. We had a great time. But I came back and I took a garbage shot. And you know what? I don't care. I'll take out the garbage today because it's not about status. It's about doing what needs to be done. And that's what has made who we call a great church. It's a bunch of people who are willing to just do whatever it takes to get stuff done. I love it. And as we look at this, Epaphroditus, just willing to do whatever it takes to get stuff done. Next we see, well, is he willing to serve in humility? He's also willing to leave his comfort. Take a look at verse number 26. It says, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness. He was homesick. He wanted to be back in Philippi with his church family. He missed him. But he was willing to leave what was comfortable for him. He was willing to push outside of his comfort zone to be willing to do something great for God. He was being willing to step outside of his comfort zone to go encourage Paul while Paul sat in prison just for doing what Jesus had told him to do. You see, friend, you'll never accomplish anything great for Christ if you're so worried about your own comfort. It just doesn't work that way. I'm excited to, to share with you guys that Trey and Lee Williams were here last week with their, their daughters, Avery, Riley, and Kenley. Uh, this past week, we made them an offer to join our, our church team. They'll be joining our church team uh, middle of May. Trey will serve as an assistant, uh, a pastoral assistant and eventually transition into an assistant pastoral. And we have prayed that God would bring other pastoral staff to our church since, since before we started Who We Call. So I'm delighted to share that with you. But here's the thing. They're leaving a gorgeous house in San Diego. I mean, gorgeous. He showed me pictures of it. I mean, pool, hot tub. They got two huge Labrador dogs that are like 80 pounds each. They got three girls. Their youngest daughter, Kinley, is going to be a senior in high school next year. They're leaving all that behind to come to Huicala because they want to serve God here. I look at that and I'm encouraged by that because I remember our story of how we also left a, a great situation, a great setup to be willing to come to and start Huicala. And so pray for the Williams family if you would and think about it, especially the girls because it's a huge transition for them. But they're coming because they believe God's doing something here and they want to jump in on it. And so he said, we've been looking at houses in, uh, in Honolulu and it doesn't look like a million bucks gets you a whole lot out there. I was like, no, it does not. And so they're just trying to figure out like, hey, where can we show five people and two really big dogs? <laughs> but here's the thing. Are they concerned about that? No, not really because they're trusting God by faith. So if you're willing to Step outside of your comfort zone. God says, I've got really good things for you. God called Abraham. Abraham, I want you to go to a land, and I'm going to give you a land, a seed, and a blessing. And he says, okay, God, where am I supposed to go? Just grab your stuff and go. And Abraham said, okay. And Abraham was a very, very wealthy man at the time. But God says, I've got something bigger for you, but you've got to go. He says, okay. God told Moses. Moses had killed a man in Egypt and left and went out and basically was a shepherd. And God told Moses, I need you to go back to Egypt. <laughs> Moses was like, well, first of all, people know what I did there. Second of all, you want me to go and talk to Pharaoh? And God says, I'm with you. We got this. Take the children of Israel. They're going to go into a land that flows with milk and honey, but they're going over there and there's giants there. And God says, just go. I got this. And you see, time and time and time and time again, in God's word, people must be willing to step outside of what's comfortable, to trust God by faith, to allow God to do what only he can do. Epaphroditus really just wanted to be back in Philippi, but he knew that, that being with Paul in Rome is where he was supposed to be. 
Next, it'll be used of God. You need to be willing to be second. This goes hand in hand with what we talked about last week of being selfish and how that limits our usefulness to Christ. Take a look at verse number 26. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because he had heard that he had been sick. For he indeed was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. So here's what happened to Epaphroditus. He's supposed to deliver a message to Paul. He does. And he decides to stay for a little while and be a help and encouragement to Paul and lift Paul's burden and maybe pray with him and clean up around him and stuff like that and run errands for Paul, do whatever needed to be done. And then Epaphroditus gets sick, like really, really sick, like almost died sick. And Epaphroditus, who's left his home, is serving with a guy who's currently in jail, imprisoned. He gets really sick, almost about to die. And the first thing that Epaphroditus thinks is, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a burden to Paul. I'm going to discourage the church at Philippi because they're going to find out that I'm sick. This is a mess. Isn't that interesting? Epaphroditus didn't think to himself like, why would God do this to me and try to live by faith and I'm getting sick? No, no, no. His very first thought when he got sick was other people and how they would process through it. His first thought was how this is going to affect other people. Would it be a discouragement to them to find out that I'm sick? I hope not because I'd hate to be a burden to them. Am I a burden to Paul? I can't be a blessing to him. I don't want to be a burden to him. I want to lift his burden. But Paul said that he was really, really troubled by this. Again, if you, if you look at, um, at this passage, again, uh, verse number 26, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness. It's interesting that that phrase, full of heaviness, the same phrase is used one other place in the Bible, and it's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he sweat great drops of blood, and he was filled with anguish and heaviness before he went to the cross. Epaphroditus is so grieved over the fact that he has now become a burden that that's the only thing that he can see. I came here to bless these people, and now I'm a burden. He's not concerned about himself. He's not concerned with the fact that he's about to die. He just wants to be a blessing, and he's so unconcerned with his own situation. That's the opposite of how we are. I remember our daughter, McKeeley, when she was one years old, she got really, really sick, and the doctors told us at the time they thought it might be lymphoma cancer in a one-year-old baby. And I remember the first probably 30 seconds of that, I flipped out, and after that, I got it together. But that first 30 seconds, I was mad because I said, God, here we are trying to walk with you and serve you and, and do good stuff for you, and you're going to get my daughter sick? Are you kidding me? And my first thought was me and how I had been wronged, how this was dirty to do to me, and all I tried to do is serve him. But then, again, about 30 seconds, I flipped out, and then I got together, and I realized, God, you gave me your only son. I can give you my only daughter. And if you, if you heal her, I'm going to praise you. If you take her life, I'll choose to praise you anyhow. Because it's not about me. It's about the glory of God. It's not about me. It's about my testimony, my story before other people and how they can know Jesus Christ. Next, you want to be greatly used to God. You need to be willing to push through difficulty. <laughs> Again, we see verse number 27. For indeed, he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him and not him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You see, Epaphroditus got to a point where he was so sick that he was about to die, and that would have been a perfect point for anybody to say, hey, Eve, 
take a break, bro. You got it. We got it from here. You, you take care of you. But he didn't. He pushed on. He was going through a difficult spot and he wasn't about to quit. And let me just help you with something this morning. If Christianity is something that you're trying out for a minute to see if it works, like you're trying out a new pair of shoes or a new pair of pants, just let me tell you this. You won't be here six months from now because it's going to get really hard at some point. And you're either going to have the fortitude to stick it out or, again, I'm going to help you and talk to you straight this morning because I love you, or you're going to be a coward and you're going to quit on Jesus. Those are your two options. Epaphroditus chose to suck it up and push through. And God blessed him. And guess what? He didn't die. Please understand this, that whenever you come to a point of difficulty, I'm going to be very careful with this. I'm going to explain my statement when I say it because it's going to get misconstrued, misinterpreted. It's going to sound like the other vanilla, fake Christianity garbage that's out there. So let me quantify that statement before I say it. If you're going through difficulty right now, I'm promising you this, on the other side of that is victory. And I'm going to qualify that by saying victory isn't always what you think it is, okay? Because there's so many happy, smiling preachers on TV with their $5,000 outfits who say, you're going through difficulty and right on the other side of that is victory. And everybody claps and stands up and gives standing ovations. But what they're really saying is that whatever sickness you have is going to be healed. Whatever financial trouble you're going through, you're going to get more money. Whatever you're short on your rent this month, you're going to get paid next month. And victory is right around the corner. Whatever's facing you, whatever's crushing you right now is going to go away and everything's going to be happy on the other side. That's not always the case. And I'm just here to shoot you straight this morning. When my daughter Nikita laid in a hospital bed, the first 72 hours were terrible, critical, like almost died really bad. I knew, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was victory on the other side, but I also knew that that victory might not be her healing. It might be her death. You say, how is that victory? (laughs) Again, if you go by the world system, that's not victory, that's failure. But if you remember by God's standards, the greatest victory that was ever bought in the entire world was purchased upon an old rugged cross where my Savior suffered, bled, and he died in the greatest act of victory that this world has ever possibly known. So when we say that victory is waiting on the other side of your difficulty, it might not end the way that you think that it will, but I promise you this, it will work to the glory of God and for your ultimate good. I promise you that, okay? I promise you. So you, you got what you need to just keep pushing through. Just stay after it. Just be faithful. Because I'm telling you, if Christianity is just something that you're dabbling in, it's going to get harder. When it gets hard, you're going to quit. <laughs> I remember the 1,000 times I decided I was going to get in shape in my entire life. I went to the gym. I worked out really hard. I was really proud of myself. After, you know, I'm all pumped. I'm excited, you know. You still got that after workout pump going on. I go home. I make myself a protein shake, and I felt really good about myself. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning. I could not move. I couldn't go back to the gym for a week. And you know what I did that time? I quit. You know why? It's too hard. I wasn't committed to it. I was willing to try, but the second that it got hard, I bailed because I wasn't really committed to it. Christianity can't be like the gym or a keto diet or something that you're trying out. I'm going to eat lettuce for the rest of my life. Good luck with that. Christianity can't just be another fad that you're going through. I stake my life here. I'm building my life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. If this whole thing blows up, at least Jesus is my foundation. Epaphroditus says, I might die, but I'm going to die at some point anyways. 
here, he's sick nigh unto death. And I can only imagine what was going through Epaphroditus' mind as he lay there about to die. Well, I could go out like this serving Jesus with Paul. Or I could be sitting at home watching TV, die on the couch. I'd a whole lot rather die in prison with Paul in service to Jesus than I would fall at the mall and break my neck and die. That would be embarrassing. There's worse ways to die than serving Jesus, <laughs> I guess. Paphrodites is willing to push through to the end. Hey, if I've only got 48 hours left, let God find me faithful when he comes. And I don't know if you and I have another 24 hours left on this earth or another 24 years on this life, but I pray to God that when he comes, he will find us faithful to him. Not quitting and giving up because somebody hurt our feelings. Look, you hang around Christians long enough. Let me help you with something. Christians are sinners. You're going to get your feelings hurt. Somebody's going to disappoint you. Somebody's going to say something really crummy. And people are just going to be people. But by the grace of God, you'll have enough fortitude to love and forgive as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you and you can just push on anyways. Epaphroditus did. And look, when I see Jesus, I want to be able to say that I was faithful. I don't want to say I quit because somebody hurt my feelings. I quit because things didn't go my way. I quit because I got myself in a bad spot. I just gave up on everything. No, I, I want to I suck it up. I want to gut it up. And by the power of God that lives inside of me, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to push forward until I see Jesus Christ face to face. And I want the exact same thing for you. No lie. Why do I do what I do? People sometimes ask me the question, when did you decide that you wanted to be a pastor? I've never decided that I wanted to be a pastor, ever, honestly. You know, I was telling you about my friend who in eighth grade went forward at a teen camp and gave his life to, to be a pastor. He's pastoring today. Great guy, love him to death, nothing against him. It's just not my story. God called me to reach a city. God called me to help people with their life problems from the Bible. And the extension of that is that I get the privilege of pastoring people. But look, at the end of the day, it's hard. It's not easy for anybody. And I pray that the day that I see Jesus, I'll see him with joy, not regret. And why I do what I do is to prepare you, no lie, that the day that you see Jesus Christ face to face, you do it with joy and not regret. That, that's it for me. I'm not your coach. I'm not your life guru. I'm your brother. I'm a fellow soldier. I'm a fellow laborer. And I've got your back if you've got mine. And the days that I don't have your back, I hope you've got mine. And the days that you don't have my back, I got yours. Because that's just the way that it works. Because we can't do it alone because it's going to get hard. It's interesting here, just as a quick aside, that Epaphroditus is sick and about to die. And you know what Paul does? He prays. He's grieved, and he just asked God to be merciful. And here's what he says, and God was merciful because I couldn't take, after everything that I'm going through, I couldn't take the death of Epaphrodite. It would just been too much. You know what absolutely blows my mind about this? The apostle Paul is an apostle. He has God-given authority to do anything that he wants that would glorify God within the confines of the will of God and with the confines of Scripture. And you know what the Apostle Paul does not do for Epaphroditus? Anybody want to take a guess? He didn't heal him. 
You know what's interesting today is there's so many charlatans out there, I'll call them, who say that they can lay their hand on you and heal you of kidney stones. Oh, I feel the kidney stones breaking up in your kidneys right now. Seriously? That's an embarrassment to the name of Jesus Christ. People want to rent out the Blaisdell and have healing festivals at the Blaisdell. Go to the, start at Queen's Hospital. Seriously. If you can lay your hands on it and heal, uh, heal somebody with commandment 100% effectively every time, don't do it at the Blaisdell. Do it at the hospital, for heaven's sakes. But you know what? Things like that don't happen because supernatural sign gifts were given for the purpose of validating the gospel message. Once the gospel message has been validated by scripture itself, I can say God said this because it's in his word, not because I said. So we no longer need supernatural sign gifts. Paul couldn't heal Epaphroditus here because it didn't fall in the confines of what God had willed. When Timothy got sick, he writes to Timothy, you know what he says? Take a little wine for your stomach's sake. In other words, take your medicine and I hope you feel better. So all this nonsense of these churches that, that think that people have the ability to heal on demand, that was never a biblical thing to begin with, and it's certainly not a Christian thing today, for sure. And we don't have time to talk about the mess that that is, but I'm just going to throw that out there. You can, you can do your own research later. But here's the thing. Epaphroditus, sick unto death, he pushed through anyways. Next. Be willing to be used to encourage others. <laughs> Again, if we take a look at verse number 27, for he Sick nine to death, but God had mercy on him, not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I said him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again, ye may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Hey guys, I'm sending Epaphroditus back home to be with you guys so that you guys can be encouraged. He's been such a blessing here to me. I'm sending him back so that you can be encouraged too. Here's a crazy thought. What if all the garbage that you've gone through in your life all the difficulties, all the trials, all the tears, all the scars. What if all that was meant to be your story that could be used to encourage somebody else? Look at that for a second. What if that wasn't just a bad hand that life had dealt you, but it was actually a story of God's grace? It was a story for God's glory. You see, it's so much bigger than you and I. It's so much bigger than what we want for ourselves. The glory of God's at stake. I've been, I've been doing a lot of, of thinking and praying about what I can do to help tell the stories of our church. Here's the thing. If we wrote a book of, of what God had done in the lives of our church members, it'd be a bestseller. Like, every person gets a chapter. Like, it would be so incredible. We've had people in our church that have almost died. We've had people in our church that have survived the worst cancer diagnosis you can imagine. We have people that have beat addiction. We have people that have come from a life of sexual immorality and God's redeemed them, given them victory. We have people in our church that were hardcore, dyed-in-the-wool atheists who are now absolutely joy-filled Jesus followers. Like... We had people in our church that were, were homeless and on drugs and are now walking with Jesus. Like, the stories that we could tell, oh my goodness. So, we're not writing a book anytime soon. I'm still trying to figure out how we can process through everybody's story and, and, and encourage other people. But here's what you can do in the meantime. 
hey, we should totally grab coffee sometime. I'd love to hear your story and share with you mine. I'd love to hear what God's doing in your life. I, I don't really know anything about you, but I know that your story's amazing. And you might say, well, my story's not really all that amazing. <laughs> if you're a child of God, you've got a killer story, and I can't wait to hear it. I really can't. Like, how did you, from where you come from, wind up in this church worshiping with us as part of us being family together? How did that even happen? I gotta hear this story. But it requires you to be open and vulnerable and share your story. Your, your story's awesome. Could you use it to encourage other people? Here's Epaphroditus' story. Paul, as he sends back, he's like, I'm overjoyed because I know you're going to be encouraged when I send you back Epaphroditus. What's Epaphroditus' story, really? He went to encourage Paul. He got sick. He almost died. And now he's being sent home. And Paul goes, yeah, that's, that's the best part of the story. I really want you to hear that. Because in our minds, we think what's happened to, our, to us is not that big of a deal. But God's writing a story for his glory. And you don't get to determine how exciting your story is or isn't. You just need to tell it. You just need to share it. And Epaphroditus is willing to go and be an encouragement to Paul so that he could go and be back an encouragement to his church family as well. So Epaphroditus is going back to Philippi and Paul said, I can't wait to send him back because I know he's going to encourage you. Just by being him. Next, number nine. Be willing to give your life for the cause. Again, we see verse number 30, because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, but to supply your lack of service. Again, when we see this, Epaphroditus didn't think it was too big of a deal that he was going to die serving Jesus. I guess he thought there were better ways to die. Some Bible scholars have written even the name uh, Epaphroditus, meaning favored by Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of love and luck. Love and luck. And so when Paul says, he, uh, verse number uh, 30, not regarding his own life, that, word, that phrase not regarding his own life means to take a risk or a gamble. And so some Bible scholars that are way smarter than I am think that Paul is kind of making a joke or trying to be funny with Epaphroditus' name here and saying that, hey, the guy who's favored by the goddess of love and luck was willing to take the risk of giving his life for Jesus. But please understand, Epaphroditus wasn't gambling with his life because he knew who held his life. He knew who was in charge. He knew who he was serving. And that was a calculated risk that was taken. It wasn't just a flippant gamble, that's for sure. So Epaphroditus says, hey, if, if, if it costs me a life, I'm willing to give it. I think for all of us in life, there's things that are worth dying for. I think anybody who's ever taken an oath of service to our country has said, I'm willing to give my life in exchange for freedom because I think that freedom is such a great virtue and this is such a great country. I would gladly give my life for it. I think anybody who is loving their wives as Christ loved the church or loving your husband the way that the Bible commands would gladly give your life for your spouse. I don't give my life for any one of my children, wouldn't think twice about it. But to give your life for the cause of Christ, that's next level. And it's interesting, Epaphroditus was sick unto death, but he pushed on anyways because he knew he was working for Jesus. He said, man, that's some next level commitment there, isn't it? Nope, actually it's not. Not at all. Again, lest you think that Epaphroditus is like all-star superstar Christian, let the Bible fix it. 
Romans chapter 12, verse number one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, I'm begging you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Because God's been merciful, because God is who he is, I'm begging you, brothers, that you submit your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. That your bodies means everything that you are, everything that you have to your name. Not to give God a little bit of my time or maybe 10% of my money, but to give God everything that I have as a living sacrifice. That's what Paul's begging Christians to do in Romans chapter 12, verse number one. And you say, wow, that's next level commitment, isn't it? Like everything. Like it's funny because Christians feel put out because God asks to give us, uh, us to give of the tithe and then give above the tithe in grace giving. People are like, oh, God's taking you know, such a big percentage of what I have. So they either just don't give it or give it grudgingly, which God doesn't care for either one of those. People feel like they're doing God a favor by actually showing up to church on Sundays or maybe picking up their Bible once in a blue moon. I can't be bothered with actually being a part of community or joining some, some group or something like that. That's, I don't have time for that. Well, Romans chapter 12, verse number one says that you're to present your body as a living sacrifice. You might say, yeah, I'll get there one day. No, no, no. Listen to this. Romans chapter 12, verse number one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your, help me, reasonable service. Minimum requirement Christianity is that you give everything to God to be used of him. Everything. So is Epaphroditus like all-star Christian? No, he's like base level Christian. But here's the crazy thing about Epaphroditus and the crazy thing for us as Christians is we think when people live at the level of biblical Christianity that they're automatically superstars. Like, man, that guy's like next level. No, that's just what Christians are supposed to do. And anybody who calls himself a Christ follower should say, I would give my life for the cause of Christ and wouldn't bat an eye at it. You might say, I'm not there yet. Good, then let's grow there together. That's the idea here. So you want to be used of God, be willing to put all your eggs in one basket. I remember us when we moved to Honolulu to start Hui Kala Baptist Church. Somebody asked me, what are you going to do if it doesn't work? <laughs> I haven't thought that far. Le legit. If it does not work, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I don't have a plan B. All my eggs are in one basket. God said, go. We just went. We didn't know anybody. We didn't have a plan. We just prayed and trusted in God. That leads us to finally, you know what Epaphroditus was willing to do? He's just willing to do what other people wouldn't. So be willing to do what others will not. If you take a look at verse number 30, Paul says, because the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. And here's what he says, that last phrase, to supply your lack of service towards me. Now, Paul's not rebuking them or chastising them because Paul will say later in chapter number four, that these guys have been overly generous with him. But what Paul's saying is that when you guys wanted to encourage me, there was only one person who came and he came to serve because he was the only one. And so here's the thing. You want to be willing to do something great for God, just be willing to do what the other people aren't. I remember Angela and I, this had been 2011. I told her I felt like God had called us to, to plant a church here in the middle of the city. And she said, we're at, I said, the closest we can get to the center of the city where the most people are at, that's where I feel like God wants us to be, middle of the city. And she said, okay. And I said, look, I realized when we got married, you didn't marry a pastor or a church planner. I realized that our life has taken a bunch of crazy turns. I realized our life's just plain crazy. 
Like, here's how crazy our life is. My wife was pregnant with Tallulah, our three-year-old now. She was pregnant with Tallulah at Thatcher's college graduation. Like, who does stuff like that, right? That's how crazy our life is. And so here we are in our late 30s, moving to a place where we know no one. We don't have a place to live. We don't have a place for our family. We're just moving somewhere. And I remember telling her, wouldn't it be something if we, like, moved out there? I mean, a couple of nobodies like us. And just like a dozen people got saved, wouldn't that be something? Like if, if we could see like 12 people come to Christ, like that would be worth our whole life. It'd be such a worthy investment. I mean, we're nobodies. I mean, we're never going to do anything great, but just, just if we could get 12 people except Christ as Savior, I don't know, maybe one day God would do something crazy because back in the day, that half over there was all we had at the church building and where our kids have super church, that was our auditorium. And I remember looking at it with a real estate agent and, and doing the math and figuring out where we put the chairs and stuff like that. And that room would hold about 90 comfortably. And I remember telling my wife, like, wouldn't it be nuts if like one day we had like 100 people in church? Like 100. Like what, what would we do with all those people? It's crazy. 100 people in church. And I remember our very first Easter Sunday, we had 99 people on Easter Sunday, our very first Sunday. And some dude walked in and asked what time the Chinese restaurant next door opened. And I almost counted him. I almost counted him. We would have broke 100, but we didn't count him. Uh, and so, but I thought, man, just a couple of nobodies. But you know what the fact of the matter is? I talked to so many pastors and church planners who said, yeah, you need to go to a place where there's a lower cost of living, where people are more receptive to the gospel. If you went to somewhere like Atlanta, you get one of the outskirts of Atlanta, little suburbs there, and you get two, three hundred people on Sunday, you rent out a community center for a couple hundred bucks a week, and you could call it good. But why not a, a city? Well, it's too hard. People aren't willing to do that. I said, sign me up. Because you know what? I'm a lot like Epaphroditus. I had two parents who were first-generation Christians, but they didn't really know what it meant to raise their kids for the Lord. They just knew to take us to church. And I thank my parents for that, and I, I love my parents for that. But grew up in public school, not a great public speaker. That's no shock to anybody that's here today. I'm, I don't know the most about the Bible of anybody on the planet. You know, it's just like, I don't have a lot of that stuff going for me. Epaphroditus probably wasn't the most skilled dude around. We don't know of anything else that he did for God in the Bible. We don't know anything of his parents other than the fact they probably weren't saved. But you know what he's willing to do? He just said, hey, God, would you use me? I just want to be a blessing to Paul. If that's just sweeping up behind him or praying with him. I'd love to be able to do that. And you know what? God takes regular old average folks and just gets stuff done. Simple as that. I'm nobody special. I'll tell you that. My wife, nobody special. She didn't grow up in a Christian home. Her parents divorced when she was a, a baby. She was a toddler. Her parents divorced. She had saved at a Baptist revival when she was 13. Never walked with the Lord after that because she never got discipled. We got married as just two kids trying to figure life out. We knew we were deeply in love with each other and we knew that our ways weren't best so we had to figure out something that worked and we decided to follow God's plan. And we just walked through this. Hey, I'm not the smartest guy in the room but I'll outwork anybody, I promise you that. Things get hard, I'm willing to push through. I got no problem with that. I've seen all kinds of stuff. And I've seen God come through so I'm willing to push through. I'm willing to do what other people aren't. I'm willing to stick it out. I'm willing to take a back seat. I'm willing to walk in humility. I'm willing to allow other people to get the credit. I'm willing to be concerned about the lives of others more than I'm concerned about myself. 
God, would you use that in some way? And God says, yeah, I will. And here's the crazy part. What we have right now, I never dreamed that, we, that who we call it would ever be what it is in 20 years, much less almost eight. We'll celebrate eight years in October. It's going to be awesome. I would never dream that we would have had this. It was beyond what I could fathom for myself. But you know what? Again, when you get the wrong kind of thinking, you just need to go back to the Bible. And here's what Paul says. Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And sometimes we stop and we put a dot, dot, dot there. Don't stop. It says, according to the power that worketh in us. Epaphroditus just said, hey, use me. And God says, got it. I got just the right job for you. I got just the right person that needs somebody like you. And I'm going to plug you in there and you're going to be greatly used to me. And guess what? Epaphroditus to this day is known as the guy that got sick with Paul. Nobody names their kids after him. Nobody would consider him in the top 25 Christians in the Bible. But you know what? I don't think Epaphroditus really cared. He just wanted God to do something special with his life. And here's the thing. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you want God to use you, he will. Guaranteed. Just make yourself available. The most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior. Please know this. All the rest is just details until you make sure you know for sure that you're saved. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Friend, you're not going to heaven when you die. If you're not saved, you need to get saved. And then God will do an incredible work of using your story to, to touch the lives of other people. But you've got to get saved first. And so if you're here today and you're not saved, get saved before you hit the double doors in the back today. It's not about becoming a Baptist. It's not about joining our church or getting baptized or catechized or we're not going to ask you a bunch of questions. It's just, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I'm willing to turn from my sin and turn to Jesus and ask God to forgive me. And friend, if you would do that today, you could be saved in a split second. And your life really begins then. But for those of us that are saved, like I say, when I was a nine-year-old boy, didn't start walking with Jesus until I was in my early 20s. Oh, man. If you'd be willing to just take what you got and give it to God, it'll knock your socks off. Imagine a little boy with a couple of loaves and a couple of fishes that walked up to Jesus and said, hey, I ain't got a lot, but you're welcome to it. And imagine everybody standing around going, oh, that's sweet, buddy. Thank you. Run along now. Jesus has got big problems to fix. Go on, buddy. That was sweet. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I got this. I can use that. I can work with this. You know why? Because God always meets us where we are. And here's the crazy part. So many times people say, well, God makes do with what he has. Understand that everything you have is everything that he's given you. That outside of him, you never had anything to begin with. So you're like, well, it's kind of all I have. I'm willing to give to the Lord. Good, because it's all that he's given you. That's all he expects of you. If you give it to him, man, it will blow your mind what God can do through you. Ten ways how God just uses regular folks. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.